Welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hello, I'm Bala Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, Mike. Today, we're excited to be joined by Lance Growlick. Uh, Lance founded and runs Ion Franchising. And at Ion Franchising, he helps individuals sort through the vast number of franchising options. So if you're interested in starting a franchise, or I shouldn't say starting, but acquiring a franchise and running one, Lance is the go-to guy that sort of help you sort through the ins and outs and the subtleties about various different franchise options. And he can help you figure out what fits you the best given what you want to do. And quite honestly, if franchising is right for you. And Baylor, the other way around, like you said, it. if you own a business and you want to grow through franchising, he helps with that too, which is kind of interesting. So he's working on kind of both sides of the equation. Yeah, we had a great conversation. I think there's a lot of good learning values here. Uh, if you're interested in a franchising or if you're interested in making your business a franchise and, and blowing it out in some larger region than your one or two or three locations that you have. And the other thing that I didn't think about until I had this conversation with Lance is you don't realize all the various different types of businesses that are actually franchises. People always think about restaurants, but it's not just restaurants, right? There's barbershops. There's all sorts of service industry things. Uh, that are franchises. So it's just remarkable the various different things that you can franchise. It's not just your typical uh, restaurant. Agreed. Well, let's get to it. Let's, let's hear your conversation with Lance. Hello, listeners. Today, I am here with Lance Growlick. Lance is the founder and CEO of Ion Franchising, and he is an industry-leading expert when it comes to everything around franchising. Whether you're interested in owning a franchise or whether you're taking your business and moving it into being a franchise business. So welcome to the show, Lance. Well, thank you, Bela. Yeah. So, uh, Lance, uh, describe your business a little bit and sort of uh, what you guys do. Well, Ion Franchising has been around for quite a few years. Um, you know, I've loved the franchise business ever since I got into it in 1989, uh, originally from New York and uh, fell into it in the restaurant business and restaurant franchising with TGI Fridays. I uh, helped a family member build that from nothing to $225 million a year over the course of five years, mainly through acquisition. Got bit with the uh, franchising bug, if you will, uh, at that time. Uh, moved west. I currently live in Las Vegas and Look, I love helping people get into business, and I found franchising to be an incredible way to put yourself in someone else's system, uh, a money-making system, and all you're doing is paying them a small royalty. And they're up at night just like you would be as a business owner for yourself, and where they're wondering what the next move is for R&D, uh, for marketing. They're, they're your entire outsourced but in-house system that you get to rely on and you're paying that small royalty to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm a, I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm figuring out, you know, uh, let's say currently I work for some large company and I have entrepreneurial aspirations and I want to leave my large company and I'm either thinking about starting a business or I'm thinking of buying a franchise. So why would I, why would I think about doing a franchise instead of starting my own business? 
Well, well, first off, Bela, you just summed up a large piece of my business. Every single day, uh, I already spoke to two people that that fit within the category of what you just described today. Um, and uh, so every day I speak to people that are looking to leave the corporate world, either because they are not satisfied uh, with what they've chosen or they've had enough of what path they've chosen and they want to chart their own path. Now, I, I think the explanation or the, the response to your question from my standpoint is quite simple. If you have a burning desire to do something specific, there are people that wake up in the morning and say, I want to own a restaurant. As crazy as that notion might be to people that you know, have never done that or don't have entrepreneurial aspirations, then exercise that sort of freedom, if you will, and open, open yourself a restaurant. Are you a passionate chef? Do you intend to hire somebody? If you have something specific that you want to do, I tell people to, to do it and go for it. Most people aren't thinking very specific. They're more like what you described. They want to leave their corporate job, or maybe they never even had a corporate job. They want to be their own boss, and they want to get some ideas as to how can I have my financial freedom, my time, how do I get to do this? Whether it's a generational wealth situation, I talked to a gentleman yesterday, currently in a corporate job that he still likes, but he's making good money, but he's not building that generational wealth. You know, and how do I do that? Well, look, I'll tell you my, one of my favorite stories. I have a family friend who has no hair and his hair probably stopped growing when he was in college. Doesn't even have to shave it. He just doesn't even have any hair. And so he doesn't have a need for a barber. Yet today, he owns quite a few franchised hair salons. And a consultant like myself, before I met this family friend many, many years ago, a consultant like myself told him, based on his needs, based on his, on his investment level, based on his goals, you know, I have a franchise hair salon that is available in your area because that's step one. It's got to be available to you that would fit you perfectly. What do you think his reaction was? He was, what are you, nuts? I don't even have any hair. I can't even be a client. That's like telling a vegan that you should own a, a McDonald's, you know. Right, uh, so right. today, today he has his 20th franchise hair salon under construction and he nets he nets about a million four a year, and he works now only probably about seven hours a week. Yeah, he's got a team in place. So that's the typical person that I deal with. Now you don't have to build some big empire where you're netting a million and a half dollars a year. There are plenty of people that are satisfied to make two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year. Put a team in place, and you know, franchising is also great for the exit strategy. You get to you get to sell for a multiple of your cash flow, but but look, let me let me let me line item some things for you in in franchising uh, as to why people should buy a franchise. You know, uh, number one, it's a proven system. It's somebody else's system that is proven, and here's what I mean by proven. Through the process with any great franchise brand that I connect you with, and I represent more franchise brands than anybody in America right now, over 600 brands, I'm going to connect you with brands where 
when you get excited about them, you've already had a couple of calls with them, they're going to connect you with existing franchisees. They're going to hand you a list and say, Bela, call these folks, whoever you want at random. And you're going to verify and essentially validate that this is something that sounds good to you. Because the corporate folks can tell you how they feel. But what about talking to people that were you? They were in your position. Do you feel comfortable that you're, you're a fit for their culture? Are these people you want to have, a, have dinner with? You know, because you, in a business relationship, it's almost like a personal relationship as well. You're going to be spending a lot of time with the corporate folks as well as existing franchisees. So in franchising, you know, you got brand awareness, you have training programs, ongoing coaching and support, buying power and vendor relationships. The ease of exit I already mentioned. Franchising is uh, it's easy to sell a franchise. Um, the R&D, the public relations support and marketing. Um, so those are many of the reasons why you buy a franchise. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm interested in that, what are the questions that I should be asking? Well, when anybody calls me, the first question I ask them, I say, Bela, so tell me about your history. Tell me about your resume. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. Like I found out from a gentleman the other day, I didn't ask my questions in the same order I normally did or do. And I found out he's very, he's a hobbyist with cars. He's very handy with cars. Well, that didn't enter the equation or the conversation until much later. And, you know, it, it could be something that he might want to do. I have quite a few very successful automotive franchises. But again, like in my story with my friend that doesn't have hair and owns hair salons, it doesn't necessarily need to be something that you love. A lot of entrepreneurs, after working so hard and not ending up with what they think is fair, uh, they just want the obvious profit path. And my goal on the calls, my favorite expression is clarity is currency. If I can get people really clear on their goals, that they feel comfortable, they know what direction they're going and, and what path they should be taking to make an appropriate amount of profit so they can live in the lifestyle that they would love to be able to live if they have not achieved it thus far, that's my goal. So let's get back to what you asked, really. In that first call, it's about their resume, their interests. So for example, I have quite a few franchises that are quite successful where you need some sort of sales background. Now, if you don't feel comfortable with sales or you're not good at sales or you don't want to do anything with sales, I crossed it off the list. I have plenty that are non-sales related, but you know, through process of elimination, we, we stop talking about sales related deals. There are possibilities where you could just hire somebody to do sales for you. I did get in that conversation with a lady the other day uh, who was super nice and, uh, and we discussed that. Uh, we talk about investment level. How much are you interested in investing? Now, I have quite a few uh, franchise brands where they're under $150,000 or even under $100,000 where you can do substantially well. Some of them are home-based businesses, and you can do incredibly well. I have a brand that costs only – the investment is only $62,000. Work out of your house, and there's franchisees that net a million dollars a year out of their house. Proven, validated etc. That happens to be a sales gig as well. Now, the other piece that's very important is, Bela, tell me, you're interested in a franchise, you're working a corporate job. Are you intending on leaving 
your day job and doing this as an owner operator, in other words, full time? Or are you interested in a semi absentee type business where you have some flexibility, where you can dedicate some time, but you're going to put some other folks in place to run this? There's also executive level, uh, which is a true investment play or, or, in, or an absentee owner. I have some things where you can be a complete absentee owner and you're essentially investing your money. And some of them are franchises. Some of them are just business opportunities, which are just structured differently. It's not a question of better or worse. So uh, that's sort of how that conversation goes in the first place. And then I present brands. And I, I want people to understand from the get-go, as you certainly know, Bela, dealing with entrepreneurs all the time, is once a soon-to-be or wannabe, dare I say, entrepreneur that's never been their own boss starts to tell family and friends what they're doing, what's the reaction they normally get from friends and family? Yeah, you're crazy. <laughs> exactly. What are you, nuts? Right. So I'll tell you a sad story. I have a friend that referred me to uh, a doctor, a very successful doctor. He's an anesthesiologist. And you know what he told me in the first phone call? He told me that his wife told him, don't have that phone call with Lance. Don't, don't waste your time because you will never make a good boss. You need to have a boss. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, and he still works at a hospital. He doesn't work in a private practice. He works at a hospital and has a contract with a hospital. But nevertheless, I told him, I said, that's, that's crap. Anybody can be their own boss. You just need to do the right thing. If you're scared of heights, you can't jump out of airplanes, but you can certainly do stuff on the ground, couldn't you? Right, right. So uh, what, what are the types of, what are the typical sets of sort of restrictions that, uh, that I as a franchisee would have? What are things that I can and cannot do? Where's the flexibility that I have? Well, the, the beauty of franchising is when you're going through the process, you're, you're sort of testing that in what you just said, because I don't want to make it sound negative in that you're thrown in a box and told exactly what to do. But in some circumstances, that is the goal of franchising. You're fitting into somebody else's system. Right. It's like following a recipe. Right. They've if worked I give out the you system. A, yeah, yeah. Exactly. If I give you a recipe for fettuccine Alfredo and I tell you what cream and you buy a different cream, or I tell you that the cream has to boil before you put the Parmesan cheese in and certain things, and you decide to do it on your own, you're gonna get a, you're gonna get a different result. So if, if through this process, I show you a brand and all these steps, the steps to franchise ownership through what's called Discovery Day with a brand, you will get a very, very good idea of what you can and can't do. But I'll give you a good example of what you're talking about. Live, live first-hand example just happened the other day. IV brands are very popular, IV infusion brands, little retail facilities, uh, all kinds of, whether, whether it's the hangover cure or a cancer patient coming in for a treatment to, to help them boost your immune system these days. So I have a young lady that is a registered dietitian that's interested in buying one of these franchises. So she had asked, can I, as a registered dietitian in the state of such and such, also add that to my franchise where I offer those services that are non-competitive but complementary to the wellness space 
And the owner of the brand and the franchise team said, absolutely. Now, to be honest, I didn't know what the answer was going to be because it's not in their franchise agreement, but they create an addendum and a side letter, if you will, to add that for this particular person. Now, if you're a McDonald's, uh, you know, and have an incredibly long history in franchising, you know, 50 years plus, you're probably not letting any new franchisee do anything at all other than, you know, what's in their system. Yeah, right, right. Here's the uniform, et cetera. But, you know, look, I, I like the fact in franchising, Bela, that you get to control your employees. You get to hire the employees. Now, they're going to give you the standards. So if you know you're looking for a, a prep cook for McDonald's, you already have a job description and 100 videos and online learning and everything else to train these people and get them up to speed. But you get to pick the person that's going to work for you. Yes, yes. Do <clears throat> I imagine there's a spectrum of, uh, I'm using the word control because I, no, I'm not, let me take that. I, I imagine there's a spectrum of process definition that various different franchisers have, right? So some are very, they say, okay, here's the business, here's the logo, go for it. And other ones are telling you exactly how to do things. Um, that you're very you're very smart, which is why I was excited about coming on your show, uh, because you, control is the word. It's part of the legal definition of franchising. You have to, as a franchisor, exercise a certain amount of control consistently over your franchisees. Otherwise, things run amok. I was part of a, a, a great franchise system. And there was supposedly a franchisee that was selling all kinds of food items that were never on the menu. And boy, corporate, the franchisor had to put their foot down immediately to rectify that because it hurts the brand. Why is, you know, why is McDonald's selling hot dogs if they don't have hot dogs anywhere else in the country? And by the way, that was a terrible hot dog. Why would that be in a McDonald's wrap? Well, it's not. It wasn't approved. So there needs to be a reasonable amount of control. And that is why franchising is successful. Now, there are occasions where uh, franchisors going into new markets when they have a business person that they think is going to be fantastic. Um, you know, they might give them some creative licensing, so to speak, uh, to do things that maybe they haven't done in other markets. I'll give you an example. Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, not, 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 Dunkin' Donuts is a very well thought of brand, and this isn't anything negative about Dunkin' Donuts. But Dunkin' Donuts on the West Coast try to set up in certain cities multiple times. And it was very difficult. They had not, no presence when they first did it. Um, they had awareness from people from back east because they're originally from Boston. You and I are both from, from the, 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 the Northeast. And it didn't work. The franchisees failed. And in most cases, I can tell you, it was probably because of the franchisees. Operations. Operations is everything. You go to a McDonald's or you go to a fast food joint. And, and you know, I like talking about food because people understand food franchising. The fact of the matter is there's 6,000 plus franchises and, and they're not all food. <laughs> they're, most, of them are, most of them are not food. So, uh, you know, but people think of food, uh, think of franchising, they think of food and you want things to be consistent. And we have all been to a fast food restaurant that is a franchise 
and have enjoyed it and felt they got we got value and it was clean and there was nice staff. But then we go to another franchise with the exact same logo out front and the building doesn't look as good and the floor looks dirty and the staff isn't as nice and the food doesn't taste the same. Well, that's operations and that's consistency. And that's when brands have an opportunity to clamp down and to, you know, to uh, to control what goes on as yeah. best as they can. Yeah. So, Lance, from let's say I'm interested in, in obtaining a franchise. So from the time I pick up the phone and call you uh, to the time that I walk through the doors of my franchise, what is that typically what's that typical length of time? Well, from the time you talk to me to the time you sign a franchise agreement, uh, it could be, I mean, I've had people do it as quickly as six weeks, five or six weeks. Now, the legal process is that when you speak to a brand for the first time and, and you're in agreement that you like each other and you want to go further, they'll give you a franchise disclosure document, the FDD. And the FDD will typically have the franchise agreement with it as well, which is what you're actually signing to become a franchisee that mentions the address or the specific location. If you don't have a location, that's where it's going to be filled in in the future. But but just the FDD alone has a 14-day sort of cooling off period associated with it. So the quickest, once you find a brand that you love, you still have to wait 14 days, but most most brands, there's a process. And the process for some brands could take three months by the time you talk to key executives. You know, before we were in a pandemic, there was a discovery day process where if you and the brand liked each other after multiple steps and engagements via the phone, you would then get on a plane or get in a car and you'd go to discovery day. And Discovery Day was when you visit the company and go to their corporate office, meet all the key executives. They take you out to lunch. They'll probably take you to dinner, maybe breakfast the next day. You stay over a night. And at the end of Discovery Day, you make a decision. And typically when anyone in the industry, any prospective franchisee gets on a plane or on a long car ride, uh, Discovery Day success is typically 80, 80 to 90%. Um, and uh, but yeah, these days it's typically a remote virtual discovery day. There are even still gym franchise concepts that are very successful selling that way as well. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of franchises, uh, a lot of businesses have a building associated with them. So is that owned by me, the fr- the franchisee, or is that owned by the mothership, or is it some combination thereof? How does that part work? It's a good question. In most cases, it's owned by you uh, or the franchisee. It's not owned by the corporation or. um, Yeah. In most cases, it is the franchisee. So the way that typically works, as soon as you sign a franchise agreement, you have a territory, especially if it's for a retail franchise like a Fast Signs or a or a Supercuts or a McDonald's. You have an agreement for a specific territory. So you will be finding a location with their real estate team within a specific territory. Now, there are franchise brands like uh, and, 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 you know, for for the brands I mentioned, typically it's going to be a lease, could be a ground lease. It could be, you know, McDonald's, everybody uh, that has seen the founder uh, about Ray Kroc and the history of McDonald's. Uh, McDonald's did buy uh, a lot of real estate underneath their franchisees locations or franchisees bought the land which is a fantastic investment. But that's also a bigger 
box, so to speak, uh, concept. Yeah. A lot of the smaller ones, you're in a big sh- sh- uh, strip center or shopping center, you're just leasing the space as Got a it. franchisee. Um, what I can tell you is brands like IHOP, uh, when they were franchising, um, IHOP, a lot of times to speed their, uh, call it their their opening store clip, if you will, they wanted to speed their growth and expansion, they would secure a location when they found a good one. They would be the landlord. Uh, they would then actually have their architect work on the building, and then they go work looking for a franchisee. Got it. And if they did not find a franchisee, they'd hire the staff and open it as a corporate location, and eventually they'd sell it as a to a prospective franchisee, essentially completely turnkey. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if I'm interested in something like this, can I go to the bank and get some financing for uh, an endeavor like this? Well, SBA financing, Small Business Administration financing, is the most common for franchises. The reason for that is the SBA fully backs and supports the franchise industry. They work hand in hand. And banks will guarantee those loans. 75% of that loan is guaranteed by the SBA. So there is an SBA registry. If you're a franchise brand, you want to get on the SBA registry. And that way the SBA will lend to you, to you and your prospective franchisees. All you need is a 680 credit score and some, some sort of resume that says that Bela buying a franchise hair salon can have some success right. <laughs> where they're not going to lose all their money. And and really, uh, that also has a lot to do with the brand itself. How big is the brand, et cetera. But typically, you only have to put down 25%. Sometimes you can put down a little bit less. And uh, and you're in business. Yeah. So, so you can go to your local bank. But in most cases, you really need to go to an SBA-specific lender that's familiar with the process of which – I'm a turnkey solution. I have all kinds of financing folks out there for SBA loans. But I'll tell you, Bela, one of the most popular things that people have tapped into over the years that was a lesser known option, especially for corporate folks that have a nice 401k, is you can actually borrow against your 401k uh, for no penalties, and you're essentially loaning the money to yourself. Right. And that's called, that's called a ROBS, a ro- rollover. It's funny. You're robbing money from yourself rollover business startup loan. And and there's a way to do that. You have to, you know, pay and set up a corporation and roll your retirement money into that account. And it's legit with the IRS. It's been on the books since the 70s. Yeah, very nice. So if I've uh, had my uh, franchise hair salon for 10 years and uh, time for me to retire, uh, how do I how do I exit? How do I uh, monetize my 10 years of building this business? Yeah. Well, uh, there, there's first of all, you, you let the franchisor, your, your owner, your, the, the franchisor, your corporation, uh, the brand know that you want to sell. Sometimes the brands have brokers that they work closely with uh, on the resale process, uh, because as you could imagine, the brand now needs to approve who you're selling to. Uh, they want to make sure that it's somebody that that fits. And uh, so, you know, when I've sold franchise brands, I I was a franchisee of Wingstop, as an example. Um, The corporation actually bought my stores. I had very good stores. They bought my stores. So that made it easy. Um, 
But there is a great secondary market, essentially. If you want to sell a franchise, there's a lot of people selling franchise brands out there. And you're typically going to be able to sell a franchise brand for anywhere from three to five times your cash flow. Okay. Your, your EBITDA number. And it's a, it's a pretty substantial number. When I mentioned my family friend, uh, you know, about a million and a half cash flow. Well, what, what, what's four times that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's three, three to five times your uh, EBITDA. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So that's nice. That's not, that's not a bad exit. Uh, not at all. So let's switch gears for a second here, Lance, in the last few minutes uh, and talk about, let's say I've started a business. Let's say I've started a restaurant, just to keep it simple. And I have two locations and they're really doing great. And I'm thinking about, hey, I'd like to make this go, I won't say national, but, you know, east of the Mississippi uh, and, sort of, and north of the Mason-Dixon line, right? So I, I want to I do north of the Mason-Dixon line, east of the Mississippi. How do I, what do I need to think about? How do I, how do, I do something like that? I have an entire team that does that, and I'm I'm part of that process as well. And and I set quite a few brands up for franchising, just like you described. I set a I set up a super famous now cheesesteak brand in Atlanta up uh, last year, and you know with one location, and they had an incredible brand, an incredible system. And uh, it's not as expensive as people think. In the old days, it was $100,000 to set up a franchise system. Some people still charge that. But we're not just a, my group is not just a law firm. We want to be able to establish that relationship and be that turnkey resource for franchisors yeah. and new franchisors in addition to franchisees. And what, what sort of metrics should I think about my business having before I, I even think about something like that? Wonderful question. So, ideally, we want a we want it we want some semblance of success. Is there a profit path that you can prove? You in, now here are some key metrics for franchises that are that are important and a lot of people look at. Number one, how much does it cost? What is the investment to open a certain franchise? So I'll give you an example. In the old days. These numbers can be off. I'm doing it from memory. But in the old days, when Panera Bread was a hot franchise, not that it isn't now, it's a good brand. When Panera, brand, brand, when Panera Bread was franchising in the early days, I want to say it was $400,000 to open a Panera Bread in the old days. Now it's quite a bit above that. Well, they were doing over a million dollars in sales. So let's say they were doing a million too, for easy math. That would be a three to one sales to investment ratio. So let's say $400,000 investment, a million to in sales, three to one sales to investment ratio, which is as good as you're gonna get in the restaurant business, an incredible metric. Number two, what was their, what was their EBITDA like? What was their EBITDA typically like in a, in a franchise system? Don't remember what their numbers were, but but it was fine. It was a good it was a good profit margin. Those are a couple of of, of key metrics. Number three, within that, wh when do you when are you getting your money back? What's the ROI? Now, a restaurant is typically a little bit harder. You're not always getting your money back in two years. It could more, be more like five years, but that's okay. You pay yourself off and you hold on to it for ten years and twenty years and sell for a nice multiple, especially when you have quite a few restaurants. It adds up very quickly as we did the math earlier. So understanding that you have a good model, you have a good training system, 
What is your secret sauce? That is the question I ask brands that call me. What is your secret sauce? I set up a salon suites brand in Atlanta to franchise recently. In fact, she's almost done with the process right now. And she has two very, very successful locations. And I asked her, I said, I have other salon suites types, type franchise brands. What makes you different? And you know what she said? My investment is low. We figured out a way to keep the investment low and still have a great product, have a proprietary system. And that is her secret sauce and who she attracts to you know, the table to yeah. be other franchisees and, and beauticians. So, you know, is there an awareness? Because look, brands that are good can't just go from, let's say, New York having one location and run to California and open their first franchise, which is why a lot of times we do see some sort of regional focus right. first right. or a local, a local focus. So in the Salon Suites example, She's in Atlanta. She already has two in the Atlanta area. Her goal is to sell sell in that area. And eventually she'll get to Florida. She'll get to the Carolinas. Yeah. All, all can, you know, uh, adjacent, sure. very close cities and states. Yeah, and it's much easier to hop in a car and drive two hours to talk with your uh, uh, franchisee than it is to hop on an airplane and take a day to fly to California, right? Distance doesn't that, matter. That, that's exactly right. And in the early days as a franchisor, the two biggest things you really need to focus on besides your system is, you know, the marketing support and just support in general. It, how is this franchisee doing? Because you're responsible for training them and having them ramp up as quickly as possible because you don't make any money unless, you know, they have revenue coming in the door. Right, right, right. Uh, one quick question, Lance, uh, and then I think we'll end it. Uh, if I uh, get a, you said most franchise franchisees have a territory, they have some geographic uh, boundaries. Uh, is it specified how many locations they can open within that geographic boundary, or is it basically up to them? No, the, it, there's definitely specificity on number of units or locations. Um, so if you're doing a single unit deal. Uh, let's let's again stick with restaurants at, the, at this point. If you're doing a single unit deal, there's typically a radius clause. So if you if you say a certain city, there might be uh, either a population clause, a radius clause, like uh, a, a three mile radius of the location that you select. Um, there's a lot of different ways to to do it. If there is an existing re uh, restaurant franchisee for the same brand already there, uh, you'll you'll know where and when you can stop. Now, where some brands have gotten in trouble over years, not many brands do this. Most of them are smart enough. But there was a sandwich brand that most people listening would know that was guilty of encroachment. Just like in football, encroachment is bad. And so encroachment is pretty easy to prove if there was an existing sandwich shop doing 750,000 in revenue and someone else opened too close and now they're doing 400,000 in revenue and nothing else changed, uh, that's a problem. And you definitely want to protect the territory. It's okay to ask. There are deviations you can make in a franchise agreement. You also can ask for things like first rights of refusal. 
So even though you have a single unit, but you want to do a second unit, but you don't have the money to put down as a deposit for your second unit at the moment, you can ask for a freebie. You can say, you know what, Bela, I would love to be able to do a second location. I don't have the money right now. I would like a first right of refusal uh, on this same area, you know, adjacent area. So please call me in the event anybody else is sniffing around at that location because I might be ready at that point to to exercise on that. Yeah, got it. Got it. So, Lance, is there any uh, question I should have asked you that I have that I, that I did not? You did a great job with the questions. You know, I, I love to tell people that that franchising is about modeling success. And I think it was Tony Robbins that always says success leaves clues. You know, all of that rolled together is all about franchising. Yeah. You know, you can absolutely start your own business. I have created several concepts and sold them. I am a passionate serial entrepreneur, but I found tremendous success within franchising and I enjoy the heck out of watching people really gain success with less risk through franchising. So anybody out there wants to, uh, if they want to explore, I'm free. My services are free. I get paid by the brands. So feel free. Let's get on a phone call. You don't have to close a deal in a month or two months or six months. I have people that I talk to for years and then eventually close a deal. That part's up to you. Great. Great. Well, you've been a wonderful guest, Lance. Thank you very much for being on the show. I will include your contact information in the show notes so uh, people can get a hold of you at ION. That's I-O-N, franchising. Uh, and uh, have, a, have a great, great weekend. And thank you very much for being awesome. on the show. You too. Thank you for having me. It was great. Yeah, Bela, interesting conversation. I mean, he clearly is, um, you know, somebody who's passionate about franchising. And you and I have talked a, a few times over different episodes on the pros and cons of franchising. And he obviously is, you know, that's his business is to get people excited about this and to get people to log to, to kind of sign up. But uh, and there are some really great things. I mean, franchising is great if you don't, as he said, a lot have a lot of uh, business experience or expertise. Um, if you really like having a proven structure and, you know, like, yes, I want a recipe, right? It's like the he gave a good example of chefs, right? If you like to follow a recipe, it's for you. If you want to be the one that's experimenting with wild ingredients, franchising, I can tell you, because I owned a franchise, right? Not for you, <laughs> right? So much. Um, so it, so it's a really, it was a really interesting story. I think that um, one of the cool things I thought about Lance uh, is that he represents a lot of different franchises. So this to me is like going to an insurance agent that sells policies from different companies or a financial advisor that sells financial products from different companies that they're in a good position to kind of listen to what your needs are and then help kind of you pick um, some paths that might be a good fit. I thought that was that was really good. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think you hit on a couple of good points there, Mike. Uh, one is sort of the recipe, but thinking about recipe, not just from the point of view of cooking, but also a recipe sort of as a process, right? So if, you, if you're buying a franchise, uh, the mothership, as I like to call it, uh, has sort of figured out the equipment you need. They, they know where you, can, where you need to buy the equipment from. Uh, they've figured out how much equipment you need, how much square footage you need. I mean, you think about starting a business, any kind of business. It could be a manufacturing business. It could be a, a restaurant. Uh, if you don't have experience in it, uh, you got to make all these decisions, uh, which equipment you're going to get, how many seats do you need, how, what permits do you need, all of these things. Uh, and how Bela, to hum, little how to, things. 
what color tile, what color grout, right? How right. big should the windowsills be? I mean, to that level we're talking. It's a big, it's a million decisions. And right, having something like this where it's turnkey and here's what you got to do can really save your cognitive energy uh, for the places that might be more important. Exactly, exactly. All these details are sort of taken care of. So it gives you the opportunity to operate the business. You are an operator. You're, you're going in there and running the business, right? You're not trying to figure out what color tiles, like you said, Mike, and what color grout and what color to paint the walls and, and what, how, you know, what are the skill sets you need for this person and that person. All of these things are laid out for you. Uh, and that's the good side of that, right? And, and, and that makes it really easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It, it, it changes the decisions that you have to make. I shouldn't say it makes it easy. It changes the decisions you have to make and the things you have to worry about. Yeah, uh, and I will even say that it simplifies things. You know, the trade-offs are you can't choose a lot of things, okay? But it does simplify. And maybe easy, I think easy is probably not the best word, but simplify is because it's like, here's your list, right? And if it's on this list, not you should do it, you must do this, right? Um, or maybe right. you have three choices instead of 300 choices, right, for right. some things. I remember when we were building our building in the – uh, you know, the franchise agreement and the, the, the manuals laid out. Um, sometimes you must do this or sometimes you can only choose from these three options. Yep. The other, the other nice thing about a franchise is uh, you get a, a geographic territory. You get some protection from competition, at least within that same franchise. So, so you have a footprint uh, that you can sort of call your own. Uh, I think that's a that's a good advantage. The other thing yeah, is, but Bela, let me jump in here because one thing you really need to be careful of is how big is that territory, and right because you know this is where it's nice with somebody maybe like Lance where you can compare the geographic regions right across companies because some have a much smaller geographic uh, territory that you're exclusive in than others, and you know if you're um, you've got big competitors that are just you know five miles away or 10 miles away, you might have this town, but right outside of town, that space is open and some big competitor could come in um, and, right. and compete with you. So you have to be really careful just because it says you have an exclusive, you really need to look at how big that territory is and what the population is, what the already people who might, if it's a product that's already in use, um, how many customer, existing customers are in that space, um, it can get really tricky really fast. So this is nice where you have somebody who can help you compare A to B to C right. and help you ask the right questions like that. Exactly. And I think that's where one of the great values of a person like Lance is. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the other, other interesting thing here is that probably once a year, if not more often, uh, all of the franchisees get together and usually they have a big annual conference of some sort and you can kind of compare your performance to other individuals who are running a same type of business and you can help hone your business. And remember the franchisor, the mother ship, right? They're interested in increasing sales because that's how they make their greatest amount of money. And so they're motivated to take best practices that they learn from other individuals and share them throughout the network. Because again, the franchisees are not competing with each other. They have sort of different territories with the caveats Hopefully. that you mentioned, of course. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, that's a, those are some really great, important things that are, that are helpful. If you're, again, you want to be an operator, right? You want to run the, you want to run a business, right? You want to run a business. Yeah. 
the other point he made, you know, is you think about how well established the franchisor is. Um, and he gave the example of the dietitian, right, who wanted to add make some addendums to the the franchise agreement. That's also really important. That typically a big established franchisee has zero flexibility and wants to have zero flexibility, but you may get some more flexibility with a newer or smaller franchisor that's more interested in growth and being flexible. Um, so you really need to look at that. And and you know the established ones have franchise owner groups. Sometimes they're sanctioned by the parent company sometimes they are independent um, and those can be some really useful sources of information as well to see the level of friction between the franchise franchisor and the franchisees theoretically kind of what he said and what you said about the interests are aligned are is true there's alignment the franchisor wants the franchisee to be successful because they're getting a percentage of sales okay but you can look in most business magazines um, like Inc. and Entrepreneur and things like this. And there's plenty of stories where there's friction between the franchisees and the franchisors that even though the economic interests should be aligned, there's differences of philosophy and differences in approaches to innovation and things like this. And you really need to take the pulse carefully. But again, I think a guy, person like Lance can help clue you in. If you're asking him the right questions, he can help clue you into some of these, some yeah. of these kind yeah. of um, areas to look at. You know, one of the ways I, I think about this is is uh, the franchisor is your partner. You have you have entered into this business with a partner, and it's just like any other. Whether you have you know t two friends that you start a business with, you're, the three of you are partners, and and sometimes those relationships go really great, uh, and sometimes over time those relationships change, and I think the same types of things can happen uh, as a franchisor or a franchisee, right? Your interests change. Uh, the business environment changes in your geography compared to other parts of the country, uh, but the, you know they want to keep things uniform, et cetera. So those things are all important, uh, and understanding that I think is key. And again, a lot of entrepreneurs think about franchises. It's a great way to run a business. Uh, it's a great way to get started. It takes a little bit of cash. Uh, as Lance said, you can oftentimes get financing for this, and the SBA, the Small Business Administration, actually has a special little uh, branch or program for this kind of stuff. And here again, that's a place where Lance can help you sort through those things. Uh, so all in all, if it's something you're interested in, uh, I think it's certainly worth exploring. And uh, a lot of a lot of franchisees have done very, very, very well. If you if you hop on the bus, that's the right bus <laughs> that's growing. Uh, some of them have done quite well. Yep. The one piece of advice that I would that I would offer an alternative opinion on was, and, and again, there's different ways of looking at this, and I'm not a CPA or anything like this, but one of the areas where I drew kind of a line in the sand um, when I put a lot of money into a business venture is be really careful when you borrow against your 401k, against your 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 um, your retirement plan, because. If the loan defaults, you have to look very carefully at the paperwork. If the loan defaults and then they liquidate your 401k for that, that could be a risk that you don't want to take. Be very sure before you do something like that that you've talked to your accountant um, and you're, hopefully you have a financial advisor or somebody you can get advice from. But I'd be a little careful about that. I don't, I don't fully agree with them. And everybody's entitled to their opinions. But, um, but I think that's someplace that I wouldn't recommend that people jump on. Yeah, the, the one... Uh... The one bit of advice I remember my father giving me uh, back when I was a much younger lad and we were first married and we were thinking of buying something. And 
my father and I said, "Hey, Dad, the bank said they'll give us a loan." And my father said, "Just because someone's willing to loan you money doesn't mean you should get a loan. <laughs> don't use don't use that as the sole criteria. So yep. just because you can borrow against your four hundred one k doesn't mean you should." Yeah, there are other sources of capital that I think if you if you default on the loan and then you declare bankruptcy, your your retirement plan stays intact. I think, and you need to again talk to a financial planner about that before I would jump into that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just take the first person that you talk to's word for that. So be really careful, people, if you if you go down that road. Yeah, and that's a loan for anything, not just for right. franchise. It's starting any business. It's starting anything, right? You got to be careful. Yeah, make sure you understand what you're signing. And for some people, it's the right decision. I'm not saying it's never the right decision, but for some people, it might be the right decision, but for others, it might not. Um, you know, get a third party, I think, a neutral third party that can look at the numbers yep. and, and tell you what the risks are. So that was yeah. it. But otherwise, I thought that was a really interesting, you know, I agreed with most of what he said and, and thought it was interesting food for thought for people who are want to start their own business, but need some support, essentially, right? Need a foundation, need a structure. Uh, and are really much more comfortable working in that, reducing the uncertainty, simplifying some of the things we talked about. Those people, I think, are a good fit for a, for a franchise, exploring a franchise and going down the road of talking with somebody like this. Um, you know, but again, getting some good advice from a CPA and a lawyer um, is always, we've said that a million times in this podcast, is get a good CPA and get a good lawyer before you sign any franchise agreement um, or really you know, undertake any loan, I think is the best advice that I can give people so you fully understand what you're what you're getting yourself involved in. Agreed. 100% agreed, Mike. Shall we wrap it up? Sure. So listeners, thanks for joining us this week. We hope you found the last 45 minutes or so interesting and thought-provoking. As always, if you have questions about what we've discussed, uh, you have some feedback in any way, shape, or form, think about some guests that you might want us to have on, please get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, Uh, please do subscribe and better yet, tell your friends or write a review in your favorite podcasting app. So until our next episode, signing off from upstate New York, have a great time, Mike. Thanks, Bela. And I wish you and everybody else good health and happiness. And we'll talk with you next time from here in Germany. Auf Wiedersehen. (laughs) 